Good afternoon, everyone. Rinza, listening to the first reading, it's the final song of, uh, I, in Isaiah's account of the suffering servant, and I am drawn to all of it, but towards the end um, is when um, we hear of the triumph and glorification of God's servant. And it helps when we hear all those songs and about the suffering, and then we hear about the triumph. And my friends, our uh, psalm of the day for this liturgy is none less than a response to the song of the servant that we hear. And it contains what should be every disciple's response to Jesus now. And not just a commitment of the moment. But all along the way in the path of discipleship. Friends, as we move into this day Calvary signifies that in our desperate need, God came to our rescue, as we heard from times of old and over and over again with great joy in our hearts about what God does. So, my friends, His death will only become personal to us when we come to the realization and recognition of the fact that we need salvation. Each of us. If we do not come to that, we will never understand Calvary. We will never appreciate it. And it will remain impersonal. St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans 5, chapter 5, 8 through 9, tells us about the event on Calvary and says, we have been justified in the eyes of God by this. And we have been saved then from God's wrath by his blood, meaning Jesus, has this been done. But we must come to this realization. Friends, on this day, we cover up the crucifix. And it reminded me, uh, I read a story um, about two friends, and one of them had a crucifix uh, on a wall in their home. And along with it, many other pieces of art. And the friend who would visit him in his home really admired uh, the crucifix. It was an icon. Um, the story goes on to say on one occasion, the person was visiting his friend in that home. And they began talking. And in that uh, conversation, his friend, informed him that 
he was going to be redoing his home. He was going to uh, do some home renovations and that he was going to change the decor also. So his friend inquired about the crucifix on the wall and said, I would be interested in having it. And the story went on to say his friend responded, what crucifix? I don't have a crucifix. And his friend said, yes, you do, and pointed it out on the wall along with the other art. His friend responded with embarrassment, saying, I hadn't really noticed it with all the other art around it. My friends, it caused me to reflect about Jesus' disciples, Christians today. Are we as Christians so used to our Christian symbols that we do not see them anymore? On this day when it's covered up, do you miss? Do you miss it? Did you notice? Makes one think about the disconnect that we might have, so to speak, with Jesus. Do we Christians notice, in particular as Roman Catholics, that we have a crucifix in the church? After all, it should be and it is properly placed in this parish, front and center, and for obvious reasons. And sometimes it's heartbreaking when I travel and I go into a Roman Catholic church and I do not find it. because it's been placed in another area as if it was some afterthought. I take note that our Catholic Church uses a crucifix. It's a cross with a corpus on it. And I've also made note of the fact that many other Christian neighbors choose not to use such an image, just the cross, without Jesus crucified upon it. More worrisome is how many of us have grown used to hearing about the death of Jesus, that it seems to be just a story, or it no longer seems real to us. Could we be so desensitized because of our own times by so many tragic deaths in our state and in our country? The cross of Jesus Christ is more than just the tragic death of a very nice man. In fact, it was the confrontation between two very powerful realities in our world and in our lives.
It was a confrontation between love and hate. Both of these realities course through our world and our life, often not sufficiently given notice about their impact. Again, because we hear so much about death and horrible things daily. But on that day on Calvary, there would be no backing away. One had to win and one had to lose. So they arrested Jesus, dragged him before the religious and civil authorities, and subjected him to unimaginable physical abuse, in addition, verbal abuse. They tortured him viciously, forced a crown of thorns upon his head, many of whom screamed for his blood. made me wonder about our social media of the day and the wretched and terrible things people say and do. My friends, on that day on Calvary, they forced Jesus to carry a heavy wood cross and they would eventually force him upon it, driving spikes through his wrists and feet to fasten him to the cross. And then they would suspend him from it between heaven and earth watching him agonize for three hours, mocking him the whole time until he finally died. Then they thrust a spear up into his side, into his heart, to ensure he was dead. In that time, crucifixion was about the worst thing that you could do to another human being. The worst thing you could meet out to make another suffer. And Jesus, of his own choosing, submerged himself. Knowing this was going to happen, he submerged himself into our mess. It was our mess that killed him. And surprisingly, as we continue in the story, we are profoundly inspired by the fact that the Father in heaven took no revenge upon us for what we did to his son. He only had mercy on us as only a God 
can do. In reflection of all the senseless and tragic murders and death in our time, in our country, in our world, through acts of ridiculous wars, of genocides, of terrorisms, religious persecutions, murders, gang war, and the despicable waste of life of the unborn. I hear the echoes of Jesus' words. What you do to the least of them, you do to me. In this, Christ somehow dies over again through the death of all of these. And my friends, Christ is still on that cross and will be into the end of time. Evidence of that comes from a conversation found in the scriptures when our Lord speaks from heaven to who we know as St. Paul. who was formerly known as Saul, who was persecuting the church, killing. You'll find it in Acts, not the Acts of the Apostles recorded three times, Acts 9-4, Acts 22-7, Acts 26-14. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Those words of Jesus found in Matthew's gospel, what you do to the least of them, you do to me. Somehow Jesus Christ dies over and over and over again. What is the disciple to do then? Our task is to make sense of these echoes of Good Friday. In each of our own Good Fridays, to find meaning in our agonies, taking strength from the saving agony of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, how can we admire and love him? How can we see him connected to us? Yes, we find it in the words of the second reading. Good Friday. God the Father took this one death that day and permitted it to have its saving merit for all time 
for all people, for you. The death of no other person has meant so much for so many, and so many don't care. Jesus came to tell us about the Father and to wish peace on every human person. And the world killed him for it. We knew so little of the mysterious and benevolent God until the day we call Good Friday. The mystery of God's existence is experienced in the depths of his love. Every real manifestation of God is one of love. A love deep enough to create us in order to share life with us. A love so extreme and so limitless enough to continue to invite us back to himself despite of our sins. The cross that we raise and venerate on this afternoon is the ultimate proof of God's great and extreme love for each one of you. Love so complete that God becomes one of us. Love so extreme and so great that he dies in order to rise for us. The crucifix is proof of the persistent love and extreme love of God, a love so unfathomable and so utterly unexplainable in its depths and completeness, yet so real in its presence, proven through the use of human gestures and words and even human suffering. Friends, as most of us adults know, love means little if it is not experienced tangibly and often painfully, and it's a paradox. Love makes all the sense in the world when the one who claims to love me makes great sacrifices for me. Until then, it is just a sentimentality, a very warm idea, a beautiful thought, but not yet tried and tested in the cross that is life. 
We speak of the cross and glance at it so quickly, yet fail to be impacted by its glaring message. Let us look at the cross through the eyes of renewed faith. Let us see how God responded to pain and suffering and inflictions and tragedy and to hatred. Turn to the cross. See. Watch what God did. He turned it into a means of reconciliation, into healing, into great love. Let us see our crosses with faith and respond likewise. But it is a choice that you and I must make. Sometimes it is not easy to do because the suffering and its frequency makes it so hard to see crosses with any hope. But it is with God's grace and love that we are able to see and experience these crosses in life with hope, with courage, with faith. We must relate the cross of Christ into our life and experience as he did. He submerged himself into humanity's mess. He took upon himself the sins of this world with all its wicked tortures and taking up the cross put all his faith and trust and hope in the Father whom he knew loved him. He knew the Heavenly Father would give merit to the cross redemptive for the disciple who bears his or her cross. Will not the Heavenly Father do the same for you? For the sake of his Son. Let us not forget the power then of the cross. Let us not forget the meaning of the symbol of our redemption. For it is a symbol of God's great, unfathomable love for us. It is for this reason the crucifix is front and center in our Catholic churches. It holds a place of prominence, and rightly so. So the next time you glimpse the crucifix, wherever it may be, think of the human and divine gift it signifies. My friends, suffering is a mystery. 
and for us, of itself, it has no value. However, connecting it rightly to Christ's suffering, it has immense value. And this is the great gift that one can, with gratitude, share in Christ's passion. My friends, I watched a rerun from Bishop Sheen, who spoke so eloquently and with such humor, but he spoke about this day. And he was making reference to the seven words, as most people call it, the last words of Jesus, but it was more like phrases that Jesus said. I thought about what he said to his mother. Woman, behold your son. The suffering another, of another disciple, Mary, who said yes to God in all things. And then her son asked for something more, let go. Let go. But in doing so, he gave her the motherhood of all people. The only way it could be. And we're reminded that she stood at the cross. She did not fall. She did not lay down. The standing was a sign of her persistence, her faith, her confidence in the Father. In the face of the imaginable, unimaginable thing, the killing of her child. Let's reflect on that. The other one that really really took my heart last night and this morning was what is known as the fifth word or the fifth phrase. I thirst. Jesus hadn't eaten and drinking anything since the Last Supper. We can all understand the physical piece to this phrase. I thirst. And there was a physical thirst, but it was a moral thirst. I believe Jesus was talking about the cheap wine offered by one of the bystanders symbolizes the great indifference, injustice, hatred, and ingratitude. Christ received. 
we, his disciples, can offer him to satiate his thirst. Gratitude. And we do this by having a gratitude for the sacraments of our church, baptism, confirmation, holy orders, holy matrimony, reconciliation, the anointing of the sick, but the premier one of all, the Eucharist. By remaining faithful as a disciple to Jesus Christ, by remaining faithful to him, by continuing to renounce Satan and all his works, his lies, his hatred, his injustices, his war, we can finally satiate our Lord by having gratitude in our hearts, as St. Paul says, in all things, in every place, in all time, for the great gift of love bestowed upon us. We can offer our Lord heart, our willing hearts, to be grateful for the desire to be his disciple. And my friends, I remember a professor telling us that uh, just hearts willing to be grateful for the desire to thank him is itself an act of gratitude. But then he went on to say, but, 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 let us offer our words and our actions to him. In doing this, we offer not a sponge soaked in cheap wine, but with hearts soaked in gratitude and love, which will quench his thirst. Jesus said it is finished. It reminded me of the beginning. In the beginning, he created all things. And the Word was with him, and the Word was God. We know from Old Testament, in the beginning, God created all things. And when he finished, he rested. We hear Jesus tell his Father, it is finished. What you started so long ago out of love we have brought to fulfillment in love. The reconciliation of humanity to God. Amen. My friends, I gave a very lengthy uh, sermon to you, hoping that the disciples of Jesus Christ will uh, revisit the cross and all its meaning. In light of the great love 
that the Father and the Son and the Spirit has given over and over and over and over and over again with great joy? Are they asking so much of us? Is it so much to simply love one another as Jesus has asked? Is that so great of an ask? Can we not do this at the very least? To respect life in each other to the glory of God and to love as His Son commanded us from the heart. Let us reflect. Let this be the sponge we soak in love and offer for the thirst of our Master.